My name is Bianchi. They call me a donkey <laughs> on the felt. Keeping it relt. <laughs> All right. What? what? Wow. So you only invented one word there. That's good. That's good. Um, We're back. Uh, what is this? Episode nine. Talking and about. That is why we can the intro usually. Um, what do you mean? That's the natural intro. Yeah. Freestyle Friday with Chase. Very nice. <laughs> um, what's going on, buddy? Uh, man, I just got. Uh, I actually got a decent amount of sleep. We got like six hours, but I played a like sixteen hour session yesterday, playing a massive mix game. It was a lot of fun though. Managed to beginners luck my way into pretty sizable win. Which yeah, it feels good when you're playing the biggest game you've ever played. Yeah, so tell everyone run us down what what was the actual game you're playing a big combo. Yeah, we're playing a big mix game. So the big bet games we we're playing twenty five fifty blinds, and the big bet games were. PLO, uh, Big O, which is five-card PLO, and we're playing that eight or better, high-low. And then we're playing stud, eight or better, pot limit, which is a kind of insane game, and I was so lost on that. And then for the limit games, we're playing 150-300 betting, which is massive. And we're playing triple draw and badoogie for the limit games, which are draw games and they're low-ball games. And it was a lot of fun. Uh, Somehow we ran good and shipped a huge pot at the end to book a nice win. Well, what was the hand? Can you run us down real quick? Uh, Yeah, yeah, no, it's good. Uh, So we were playing the Big O uh, variant. So blinds are 25-50. I'm in the small blind. Tony Gregg is on the button on my right. He opens to 150 um, I have ace, queen, queen, ten, deuce with ace high diamonds. And I probably should be three betting here, honestly. I talked about this uh, hand with my friend. And we have, like, way too strong of a hand. We need to be three betting. But well, especially on the high side. Call. Like your well, high side and the player, are pretty good. Plus, you can like, uh, There was a player on, in the big blind that I didn't mind letting him see a flop. So because I did have some incentive. Plays poor yeah, post? Or? I mean, he was just, like, not... He wasn't a bad player, but he was not a super strong player, so I was okay keeping him in the pot. And let's see. Okay, so... Oh, and then the player on my left, three bets for the first time in all session. He makes it 600. So we both call. So 1,800 in the pot. I have, again, I have ace, queen, queen, 10 deuce with ace-high diamonds. Flop comes... 10-9-3, or excuse me, 10-8-3 with two hearts and one diamond. So we flop the nut low draw, uh, top pair, but, I mean, we still have our pair of queens. And, uh, I mean, we have a decent hand, and we have backdoor nut flush draw, which is huge. And the, so we check, and the big blind bet's 500. Tony Tony and I both call. I mean, truthfully, from my, my experience, I think we're, I mean, I... I would feel we have a three-way problematic draw because we have that the top top pair. Uh, so we've got the we hit the board a little bit, but you know our queen yeah. is what plays. We don't have too many extras with our high uh, without turning equity, and then we have the nut low draw, but we have no extras. Uh, so right. yeah, yeah, we we certainly don't have a strong hand. I mean, it's, it's but. Medium as it when the way it plays out, I check and the big blind bets 500 into 1800. 
Tony calls. I think we have a like clear call here with the nut low draw and back doors. Oh, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we go three way to the turn. Now the pots. What is it? Thirty three hundred. Yeah, fifteen plus eighteen. Yeah, and the turn is an interesting one. It's a nine of diamonds, so it's ten of hearts, eight of diamonds, deuce of hearts, nine of diamonds on the turn. So we turn nut flush draw. We still have our nut low draw. And we actually have queen-queen blocker, which I really don't know if that's terribly relevant. I mean, it's much less likely we're up against queen-jack. I actually thought about leading in the spot as like a weird bluffy sort of thing, but I really wasn't sure what I would do if I got raised here. Like, I don't know if I have enough equity to go with it. So really and, quick, uh, you said that the board contained a deuce, and you said we had ace-deuce. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Well, it's uh, a three. So okay. it's 10-8-3. Okay. okay. We have ace-deuce. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I decide to check big blind checks, which is a good sign. And then it goes to Tony Gregg and he bets 2,400 into 3,300. And I don't think we can fold with nut low draw, nut flush draw and Queens blocker. So, I mean, well, we have a straight draw. Scoops. We've got some scoops and, oh yeah, we have some massive scoops. Like any low diamond is a like three quarter or better. Yeah. So I think we have to continue. So we call the 2,400. And the big blind actually calls 2400 as well. So I think he's most likely just got ace, ace, deuce, like always here. So we go three way to the river, and the river is a three of diamonds. So it pairs the board. We make a nut flush, and no low comes in. Oh, man. And stack size wise, I think we had around 3500 on the river, and the pot is has swelled to a massive, like over 10K, like almost $11,000 pot. So I actually think maybe I should even consider just shoving for value here. Because it seems so unlikely that either one of them had a set on the flop. But we're playing five-card Omaha, so like they could just have like random 3x makes a full house sort of thing. Sure. So I was so lost. I ended up checking and it checks through and we win with nut flush. Yeah, I, I do think because of the stack size, actually probably probably betting is is better there. Yeah, shoving over. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, the problem was, I was like, can I get called by worse here? That's the thing. Like, I don't think anyone's paying off with king high flush draw on a paired board with no low. I mean, but your hand doesn't really play itself to be to be full that often either. Because, like, I mean, I think we can be full a decent amount here, actually. Yeah, uh, I guess. I well, mean, I mean like, with my bare sets on flop, am I just shoveling money in with low draw and all kinds of straight draw flush draws out there? Yeah, I guess that's the confusing, and that's kind of the reason why, like, even a commerce, you see a lot of these uh, big O's becoming, a, I think, a little bit more of a popular game. Uh, I mean, a lot of times they're playing it just straight limit, but you get in some a lot of interesting situations because there's just so many combinations out there. Um, yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, we can have a full house there. Certainly. Yeah. So I end up checking and it checks through and I went a 11k pot or whatever the heck it was. It was massive. And I was confused the entire way. So <laughs> ran good in the big mix game. So the moral of the day is you really don't have to have an idea of what's going on in poker to be winning massive amounts of money. So save up your pennies and sit at the felt with Chase very soon. And uh, you know what? It's it's a relative game. There is some other guys in the game that weren't that great at some of the other games. So. <laughs> I think I, I do think it was a good spot, but I was stumbling my way through a couple of the games that we were playing. Sure, sure. Um, very good. 
Very good. I mean, it's nice to hear. It's nice to. It's good for everyone to start off with the Chase Run Good story of absolute utter confusion, yes. which leads to like a five figure win. Um, it's always good to start that way. So the, oh my gosh, so applicable. Good, good job, sound guy. Um, get getting a raise next week. Um, He's on fire. All right, just in the zone, dude. Yes. So let's let's talk about what we're gonna be talking about today uh what are we going to be going through today chase all right today we're going to be talking about uh kind of an overview of tilt uh what we're going to define that as and how that affects us uh then we're going to get into our (laughs) intergalactic uh star wars cantina floor call and then we're going to get some listener mailbag at the end awesome awesome and we're going to tell you we've got a really really special guest coming up soon uh pretty excited about it too we'll talk to you about that a little bit later in the pod yeah all right so chase get, get us into it i mean one of the things i think when chase and i were uh when we were talking through what we wanted to go over for this episode and one thing that we want to make sure we commit to is finding you guys usable little nuggets um practical implications to the mental game that we think are lesser explored um, or unique takes me we might have on stuff. So today we're going to start off with um, just kind of frame it for us, Chase. Talk to me what you see as tilt. Give us a working definition of what tilt is to you. Well, I think tilt is like kind of a term that's hard to nail down. So, but I think for the purposes of poker, we can define tilt as anything that's going to affect our mental state as it relates to poker. So anything that's going to get us off of our A game and not playing our best. Now, this isn't going to be someone whacking you over the side of the head when you're playing a hand, but uh, extremes aside, it's anything that affects us and our mental game. Okay, in a negative way, of course. Yeah. Um, You know, when we were talking last week and kind of preparing for this, you know, I think that a lot of us, our natural association with tilt and what we think about when we think about tilt is we think about like being slow rolled for some of us. And I guess for everyone, it's different, of course. But I think there's an emphasis on what happens at the table, you know, losing a big pot, um, dealer errors for some people. I mean, and the list goes on into affinity. But uh, I have the ability to to be fortunate enough to talk to a lot of our our customers and our poker players at Commerce, a lot of uh, pretty large name pros. And one of the things that I've seen in common in the last year or two, and I, I unfortunately, you know, for their privacy, I won't share names, but some of the players on downswings some of the commonalities that they experience and these are really successful pros is a lot of things outside of the game that affect them death in the family uh one was a divorce which is kind of a you know for a lot of people no-brainer um relocating even uh one of the pros that came into town he was like man i just i didn't realize how much i would miss being home and being homesick so for me one of the things that i think as a poker player um, I advocate is trying to do activities and make sure that we have a well-balanced life and lifestyle. So I know that a lot of players that, you know, exercise often and, and get themselves to, you know, better sleep schedule, better um, physical state, you know, they just feel that they play better. And I think that that can help make you tilt resistant. But overall, I think it's important that we evaluate uh, just our, overall our whole life and whether or not we're happy, well-adjusted people, you know, as as kind of cheesy as that sounds, but I think that there's a real direct correlation to t- 
to that and how we're doing as just an individual and how we play poker. And sometimes, you know, that's a thing that I haven't heard discussed very much. Yeah, I think the holistic approach is it has to be addressed like uh, physical, mental, uh, spiritual. Um, all these things are going to contribute to our mental state. And, you know, as followers of Jesus, we would say the good Lord Jesus will provide a uh, better way. And but I think, OK, here's one thing. I was listening to the Mental Game of Poker 2 on my way to work, on my way to MGM. And he mentioned Jared Tendler mentioned what he called one form of tilt called the fuck it's where you're just in a frame of mind where it's like, fuck it. I'm all in or fuck it. You know, it's like your higher brain function shuts down just because you just don't care about the money. And I think that when that builds up, like, especially in our outside of poker life and like things just aren't going well on and off the table, it's so easy to bring that in and transfer that to the poker table. Yeah, like uh, a story I, c I can share. I can't share the name, but it's someone that Chase and I personally know. But this player plays 200, 400 limit hold'em uh, as their staple bread and butter game. Was going through quite a few like personal things with family. Uh, you know, they have a pretty high monthly nut that they have to hit, and their game was disappearing because at Commerce, we had an issue with one of the players in the game who was the game starter, kind of the reason for the season player, and they ended up getting kicked out of of the casino. So. The game wasn't going as frequently, and this person started turning to sports betting and wasn't wasn't realizing how much that was affecting their mental state overall. Had a lot of like just a, a turbulence in their life, and was affecting how long they were playing, how tired they were when they got to the tables. And I think that that's something where poker being a little bit nomadic, a little bit of a a lifestyle that can be somewhat um, less social. Sometimes we need to have good friends, family, or some sounding board to check us and make sure that we're in a good mental state overall, just in a general sense. And I think that's one thing that a lot of us can can always take to heart, you know. And, that, and that's my opinion. That's just one wrinkle that I think I guess is is a little bit lesser discussed when it comes to poker. Um, but I, I completely agree. The holistic approach to poker and to life uh, is very important. You know, referencing one of our old uh, poker casts, you know, Jesus on the felt, which is why. Chase and I, I think, certainly outside of poker, if I never play a hand again in my life, never work another day in a casino, uh, I'm just a better, more well-rounded individual because I have a relationship uh, with my Lord and Savior. And that's something personally for me has, has done a lot to improve my quality of life. But I think in relation to poker in general and that type of a lifestyle, trying to make sure that we are well-adjusted individuals, as, as cheesy as it is, is very, very vital to long-term success. I think you see it more common these days with uh, the best poker players being physically fit, um, doing things like meditation and and yoga, and just like focus techniques, deep breathing, journaling. Man, I'm going to talk about journaling later, and it sounds so girly, but it is a very <laughs> effective tool. Yeah. Uh, and I would, so, I would... Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I would just... I totally read you as the type of guy that would journal. <laughs> like that, If anyone at the poker table is journaling, it's that guy with the beard who man shuffles a lot. <laughs> That's the journal guy. You know, it's got a it Viking fits. cover on my journal and a treasure oh. chest. Come on. Nice. My Little Pony was sold out that week at Walmart? Or okay. <laughs> uh, how, how do you deal with Tilt, Drew? Talk me through that. Well, for me, you know, especially being a, a different type of player, uh, not playing extremely frequently, not needing to play... 
especially when I was playing more frequently, I, I realized that there was definitely a pattern. And I think that this is true for most of us, is that there's certain, I'll call them triggers, that really get us frustrated and boiling over. Uh, I'll share a couple of them for me personally that I think are fairly common. Being someone that worked in the industry and being someone that's owned a dealer school and done training, when dealer, like let's say you're, you're playing a hand and the dealer's talking to the nine seed about sports or whatever game's going on and they're not moving the game along and it's like one of those social games where you're just like, oh my gosh, this guy, this, this person who's a fish in the six seed or seven seed, whatever it is, they need to be prompted that it's their turn every time. I don't want them to leave the game. I don't want to be like, hey, hey, it's your turn, pound on the felt and like piss them off. But at the same time, it would be so nice if the dealer would just move the game and do their job. And I think that that would be something that would slowly needle me. Um, I was really bad about dealing with like, and this is kind of, I think it happens a lot more at the social smaller limit games, um, you know, like or mid stakes, where you have someone that wants to be a table captain and talk a lot and tell you how good they play and talk to people next to them about strategy and all this. And a lot of times they're wrong. Um, but when I get snapped off by that person and they spend the next seven minutes telling you how they knew you had aces, but if, if their gut shot came in, they knew that you, they were going to get the stack by like misplaying their hand perfectly. To me, that's the, that would just like slowly erode at my ability to to stay focused and I would just like have to put on music and and I think that that's one of the things that I had always found is that when I started finding these triggers these like oh when I sit down at the table I know that seat seven and eight who are talking poker strategy the whole time next to me are going to bother me I started coming up with I guess stop loss strategies as well as um, avoidance strategies so like I would just table change you know at the game in the limit I play there's usually multiple games you know, at any time of day or night that I'm playing, whether it be like 20, 40 limit hold'em, you know, two, five, no limit or smaller, I can always table change. And that was always an easy adjustment for me. And that's something I think is really practical is find those things that really tilt you, find those things that bother you and make a realistic game plan of when this happens, what am I going to do? You know, is it just the actual money? When I lose a thousand dollars or more, I just become numb and I just spew like crazy. If you're one of those people, you know, it's a simple solution short term, which is to say, okay, well, as soon as I'm only going to bring a thousand and whatever game I play, and if I lose it, I'm going to make sure I don't go to the ATM and I just go home. Um, so I think that those were some of the strategies I was using. Yeah, I think you hit on a very important distinction there is that those are very good solutions short term. So things like stop loss and uh, immediately quitting when you're tilted or when you know taking a walk when a certain dealer is there those are just band-aids for a it's like putting band-aids on a bullet hole you know you're not really getting to the core cause of anything you're just kind of behavior modifying your way to minimize it which don't get me wrong that's a good thing and say like for instance last night when i was playing this really big mix game if I would have gotten tilted, I would have immediately taken a break or quit the game because A, I'm playing bigger than I normally do, and B, I'm already not very uh, studied in a lot of these games, so it doesn't take much to get me off of my very weak game that I have. And I'm sure I would revert to just like being an agromaniac or or just like the other way, I would just like be super passive and not take any any uh, you know, take any lines that for bluffs and stuff like that. So I, I do think that we need to, there is some value in trying to play through that tilt 
And it's, I mean, it's like exercising your mental muscle. If you can play through tilt, and I think this is where like journaling becomes really valuable. Keep track of how often you get tilted. Keep track of how long it takes you to get from tilted to off tilt. Um, and, and if you keep track of this, like in a journal or something, you can actually put some, um, intentional time into improving at those. You can say, oh, wow, it took me 30 minutes to get off of tilt after I took a beat yesterday. Uh, write that down in your journal. Next time you play and you get tilted, it's like, okay, I know that I'm getting tilted. Let's see if I can get myself back into a good state of mind in a short amount of time. And also, I think one very important thing from Jared Tendler's books is injecting logic. It's a tool that he used. It's kind of like self-talk, but have your injecting logic statements for whatever tilts you. So if variance tilts you, you can have an injecting logic statement like there needs to be variance in the game. If there wasn't variance, bad players wouldn't play and I wouldn't make money. And when you feel feel yourself getting tilted by the injustice of the suck at you take, you need to take that injecting logic statement. Just keep saying that to yourself. Keep injecting that logic into your emotional wreck that you are. But say it in your head. If you say it out loud too many times and like mantras, you may you may end up sitting at table by yourself. Logic is like, Uh, oh, there needs to be variance for these idiots to win. There needs to be variance for these idiots. Yeah, these dealers need jobs. These dealers need jobs. Yeah, you you may find you know so. let me clarify for Chase. Internalize, but uh, but in, in all reality and jokes aside, I, I think that's excellent. I think um, I think we really need to look at the short term approach and look at the long term approach. And with everything, you know, an old thing I used to tell Chase, and we'd laugh about it because there'd be times where, you know, you were struggling, you were just a bad decision maker, and like sleeping through your entire shift at work at one point in time and getting fired um, at the point your bankroll was probably like eleven hundred dollars. Um, you know, stuff like that happened. But I would always tell you you outthink people for a living, you know, when you're a professional <laughs> poker player, you know, that's your job is to outthink people. So I think you need to take what we're talking about today um, as a listener and you need to make it, it real to you because I think there's some situations where having stop losses and looking at a, I guess a more short-term solution, which certainly doesn't solve the problem of of tilting and it doesn't make you that much of a better player. Uh, but I think that that's, that can be applicable. Let's say you're on a shoestring bankroll. You don't have a lot of buy-ins for the game you're playing and you literally can't find a smaller game. You know, you have 10 buy-ins for the smallest game and you know that the financial stress, because you're having a struggle at work, you're taking some shots to see if you can make some extra money on the side with poker. Once you lose two buy-ins, you're too frustrated to play. You know, that's a great point where, Pulling out and saying, okay, I'm going to play next weekend. I'm going to collect myself. I'm going to do some study. I think that's great. But I think also what Chase is, um, you know, of the mind of, and it was something that's very practical to someone like Chase, who's a professional, and this is his livelihood, is long-term, there's some solutions where, you know, or there's situations, rather, that it certainly doesn't fit. Like last night, you were in the game because there was one or two really good spots. And it's very detrimental if you just simply pull out of the game because you lose a couple pots and get steamed. You know, you have to come up with, you know, working dynamic solutions to how do we long-term, you know, get away from tilt altogether. And and do you want to talk a little bit? We, we discussed uh, through the week about how this relates to the adult learning model. Um, yes, yes. That was one thing. I wanted to touch on and Tendler touches on it in his book. And it was really kind of a light bulb moment for me is 
almost like leveraging tilt and looking at the positive benefits of tilt, because there are some positive benefits that come out of tilting. One is when we look at the adult learning model that we went over last podcast and give that a listen if you haven't. When we're tilted, it exposes the areas that we have not mastered. So if we have not uh, used the adult learning model to get some part of our game up to the mastery level of unconscious competence, then that's going to be exposed in tilt. And again, journaling, when you when you are tilted and you see these uh, mistakes that you're making when you're all the time when you're tilted, you need to like write those down because that's a very good indicator that those are the parts of your game that need the work. Yeah, I think that's interesting. So what Jared Tendler is essentially saying is tilt provides us a unique learning opportunity when we tilt. So we, we shouldn't look at it as just purely a destructive force. Uh, as long as we're using it to identify the weaker parts of our game that aren't at that level where we're unconsciously competent, um, referencing back to the last pod. So I think that's that's really good. Uh, I think that overall, it's really important to synthesize the two methods we've talked about today. Have some ways to deal with the triggers. Uh, also have some strategies of when you get tilted, when you just can't help it, and it happened, You know, maybe you're in a tournament so you don't choose what table you're at, what do we do? Is it something simple like put on headphones? Do we take a walk? But also long term, forcing ourselves to play through that tilt, like Chase was saying, helps us to solve the real root cause. And journaling, positive self-talk that's internalized, hopefully, um, stuff like that I think is really, really valuable and viable. And like we were talking about, it it's realistically going to be a lifelong battle all of us deal with. I don't think that there's anyone really that never tilts. Uh, tilt is something that's pervasive and and you have to have some attachment to how you're doing, the money, at least a little bit, to play good poker. I mean you have to you have to care to a certain extent. Right. I never thought I'd be like so pushing for journaling. It's kind of a weird thing. Oh my Dear God. diary. Dear <laughs> diary, please help me deal with Jeremy. This guy doesn't shut up. And Jerry. Jerry just tilts me when he deals. He flashes every third card. Dear diary. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> Very nice. Good job, Sam. All right. Uh, shall we uh, hop aboard the Millennium Falcon? Yes, we can. All right. Get it. We're here. We're at the Cantina Intergalactic Outpost. What, what world is it on? Naboo or something? Ah, uh, boy. No, I think what, what this is Maz Eisley. Maz Eisley. We're in yeah. Maz Eisley. On the cantina. Went 85 light years to get here, but we're here. Uh, so we got a floor call this week. Um, it actually came from my mix game last night. So I'll run, run you down the situation, Drew, and let me know what you think. So we're playing the 150-300 limit Badoogie round. And player A is getting a massage super lax right now he's just in his own little world like getting his neck rubbed you know like have you seen that phil ivy meme no or, oh man i'll show it to you later is it, is it pg at least yeah yeah okay, he's just getting like a scalp massage and he looks like he's orgasming anyway oh my gosh. <laughs> thank you for uh, that player too. player a is getting a massage looks very relaxed so we're playing the, and we're playing this massive game which is funny because he ends up misreading his hand so we get to the river player a bets 300 
player B tanks for a while and he's like thinking what to do. He's like showing his neighbor his his two neighbors his cards, like agonizing over this whether he should call this guy off. And he ends up of he ends up finally calling and player A says, "I have an 8," which implies he has an 8 low badoogie. And player B like glances over and immediately shovels his cards into the muck. And then a couple players look over and say, "Hey, dude, you don't have an eight Badoogie. You only have a three card Badoogie, which is not a very strong hand." He was bluffing, or what's more likely is he misread his hand. So now we're in the situation where player B's cards are in the muck. Player A misdeclared his hand. Floor table thirty-eight. Floor, what do you do, Andrew? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really important to know the house policies. Uh, but one of the things is in low ball in low low games, there's certain games, and to be very very honest, I'm not quite as familiar um, because there's so many variations of low games. But there used to be a lot of rules with like in regards to low ball and some of the games that were more popular. I think triple draw as well, where if you have a pair and you misdeclare your hand, you automatically you can't win the pot. So then it would defer to if there's multiple people in the pot. Uh, it gets a little bit complicated, but a lot of times those situations, it's heads up. So you'd say, I have a seven or I have like an eight or whatever. And if it, it causes someone to fold, it doesn't matter what they folded. If you're if it's discovered you have a pair and you don't declare you have a pair, you end up losing the pot. Now, Badoogie is a little bit of an interesting game when it ref- as it refers to low games because not only do you need to not have a pair, your cards have to be of four different suits for you to actually legitimately have a Badoogie. So uh, I am not comfortable saying, you know, with 100% certainty, in your mixed game back there, you're playing probably MGM, right? Yeah. What, what their house ruling is. But most places have gone away from verbal declarations. They've gone to card speak uh, in, in almost all formats of, of poker. Because when you go to card speak... It's pretty. It draws a pretty clear line on the sand, and even if you flash a card and you misread your hand, if you do not table your hand, you're you don't have the ability to win the pot. Uh, I don't think that. And the one area, ironically enough, that this is not like a black and white rule is our big combo games. Um, but I'll give you an example. Like some old rules that we used to have is like let's say in limit or no limit doesn't matter. Your head's up and someone's being the aggressor. They're betting first position all the way. Bet, bet, river comes out. They end up making a bet. And they get called on the river and they say, oh, you win. We used to have people, we used to have a house rule where if you saying you win forces the other person to fold their hand, that you could not then flip over and be like, oh, actually, I do have top pair with a bad kicker. Give me the pot. So because that was an angle that was pretty commonly used common enough that they made a rule to try to get around it but recently we at commerce and i think it's a little bit more industry standard have gone just in all circumstances to card speak the problem that we run into with verbal declarations is if the dealer doesn't hear it correctly if it's loud if two players you know if the player directly to your right and left are your buddies in a big game or just in any game and they're going to espouse oh yeah i heard him say it and no one else hears you say it, it puts the floor in a really precarious position, which is like, you can't review film for something audible. In a big enough game where there's like a $20,000 pot in escrow, 
I can go up and I can look at the film and tell you definitively, okay, this guy did make forward motion. He's going to have to be held to a call. So I would say if it was me making the ruling, uh, without knowing MGM's house ruling, it's going to go to the person that has misdeclared their hand as an eight. Uh, If he had a pair, I think it would be different. It would probably be closer to going to the guy who mucked his hand. But because he just says he has an eight, even though it is not a Badoogie eight, it's just a three-card Badoogie, probably go that way. But I think, you know, as we discussed, Chase, a lot of times in these big mix games, it's self-policed because it's such an intimate player base that's so small in each area. And a lot of times they work out the, the solution. So, would, you know, tell everyone how it kind of right. turned out. Well, I got one one question. Does sure. it affect your floor call at all that two to three other people sitting at the table saw this guy's hand when he was deliberating his call on the river? That there's like two to three people that can confirm no, that he had No, 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 because that's that's so it's such it sets such a bad precedence. The one thing about calls and what I I talk to my floor staff is it has to be a standard that isn't arbitrary. Because if if that's so you let you know a lot of combo games are seven-handed. Let's say that's uh I don't you know let's say that that's a player like Manny Pacquiao used to come all the time to Commerce. He doesn't anymore, so I, I can probably name drop him. Ben Affleck, Leonardo DiCaprio. Let's say it's Leonardo DiCaprio in seat, in seat two. And seat one and three are pros at, that have no honor whatsoever. Mm, I see where this is going. And so they're going to say, oh, no, he had the winning. And if like Leonardo DiCaprio hasn't won a pot in two hours and he's about to rack up and quit, of course they're going to angle for, oh, I saw he had a Badoogie. Like he had like a Jack High Badoogie. Right, of course. You know, and we know Leonardo DiCaprio is probably the most honest person ever, would never angle in poker. But if he's like, just really hasn't won a pot and he's frustrated, he's like, yeah, of course I had a Badoogie. They don't have to be colluding on purpose, but they naturally, as a participant in the game, have a preference right. of who gets the money. Yeah, it benefits them to, yeah, I got To keep you. the fish in action. So that's, yeah, that's why, that's why it's very, that's why honestly, you know, obviously, if you're playing the big mix games, it's fairly important to understand some of these rulings and how they're going to be doled out and what the policies are. A lot of times, outside of like maybe Bellagio, and we have certain staff at Commerce that aren't afraid to make the make the call and jump in there. A lot of the floor staff is scared because these big games garner a lot of attention. There's a lot of high name pros in it, and a lot of people don't want to make that call. So they usually give the table a couple minutes to work it out, and a lot of times the table would rather arbitrate a situation for that amount of money than deal with the floor, you know, which and is, that's I think what, what happened, happened in this. That's what happened in this case is it, it was pretty clearly that he misread his hand because a- after everyone realized it showed on that he didn't have a Badoogie, um, he pretty quickly, we, we countered back the bets and he, he sent the pot back over to uh, player B who mucked. So, I mean, it's a pretty crappy angle if you're never getting, you know, if you're giving the, him the pot anyway. So, yeah, and and that's one of the things where I think that that's a perfect outcome in that situation. However, just to kind of put a neat little bow on it, in most situations, if you're at a casino, it has to be card speak. It can't be, oh, you know, I showed this guy and then I folded. You know, card speak is fairly industry standard. And if it's not, please feel free to email us, write in, write in, in situations, circumstances where card speak, um, you know, isn't relevant or how your house that you play in runs it. Um, sure, and and just to add, um, uh, this is a big game, and it's more or less player run in a lot of ways. So if if you pull stuff like this, you're you're not going to be welcome in the game, even though it's a public game. 
um, you're going to run into some obstacles if you're angle shooting. Yeah, there's some there's some creative ways people can get around it, which is they can just say, oh, you know, if you're playing 150-300, we're going to play 150-300. All seven or eight people can get up, leave that player there and say, well, we're just going to add two different games. So, quote, it's a new game, you know, and then sure. lock the person or out. They, I mean, they can... It's, it's a little adjustable how many-handed you're playing. Like, we were playing... Yeah. Uh, eight-handed, and then like one of the regulars that uh, has been playing this game the last couple weeks walks in, and we make it nine-handed for him, and we just have one more person sit out. So, I mean, we could have con- after someone left, you know, like make it back eight-handed or seven-handed. So, you don't want to get on the bad side of people if you want to continue playing. Long-term, bad idea. Yeah, be a good neighbor, like Mister Rogers said. Um, all right, so let's go. Let's go right into our last segment today. We're going to go through just a couple. A couple of emails. We have a, a huge friend of the pod, which is yeah, Andrew hey, Piper. Can we, do a, can we do an NBA edition email wrap-up here? He's on fire! <laughs> of, co- of course we can. You pulled the NBA jam right. out of mothballs. All right. Awesome. This is going to be the email. On fire edition! Let's roll. Drew, take it away. <laughs> nice. So our friend of the podcast and of your uh, your Sunday Twitch streaming is Andrew Piper. I'm going to just, yeah, affectionately nickname him Pipes. So he's been on quite a little journey. He ended up having a story published in Poker News. He wrote an expository piece. Uh, It was so well-followed and well-written that he actually got Chase Bianchi to follow him on Twitter (laughs) after all these months of not unfollowing. It's funny because I text him about it. It's not like I intentionally didn't follow him or anything. (laughs) You're such a troll, Chase. And then uh, he's like, oh, yeah, you know, finally Chase actually followed me on Twitter after he's, like, supported (laughs) us and everything we've done for, like, months on end. Good job, Chase. Love you, Pipes. Um, He's written us a couple emails. I think we're going to go through at least one or or two of them through him. Uh, Do you want to go through one of his emails or are we going to save that Uh, for a little bit later? Well, let's do Pipes at the end. Um, We're actually going to – we have another email from a different Andrew. So this different Andrew – um, he's a local guy around here too. He's from the uh, DMV area, Maryland, East Coaster. So Andrew wrote in and he stumbled onto our podcast and has been thoroughly enjoying it. Nice. Uh, he says, you bring a very real perspective to being a poker pro as well as an understanding to what occurs on the management side. Uh, Andrew has a few questions. First question what is a good strategy for small to mid buy-in tournaments? Uh, so question one is essentially, how do you play poker? Well, and I think, I think that there's a lot of good information out there. Would there be a certain book you would guide him to chase? Cause I think there's yeah, a lot yeah, of I'm good books that give just, uh, it's a very broad question. And like, I mean, I could give you some generalities like small to mid buy-in tournaments are going to be softer you're going to want to play more hands in position. You can maybe be a little more liberal with uh, hands that you play with certain players. But uh, I think, yeah, just play your standard game. You don't need to make too many adjustments for the buy-in size. Yeah, and in usually small to mid-buy-in tournaments, um, the structures are, are worse as a, a function of the casino takes a percentage of the, of, you know, the buy-ins as their money. So when they're having like a $75 buy-in tournament, if it's that low or even like a couple hundred bucks, they're not taking as much money. So they're incentivized to get the tournament over quicker. So they're going to skip levels. It's going to be a lot more aggressive. The you know 
the levels are going to be shorter in time. So I think in general, playing a fairly, you know, tight, aggressive ABC style is what's needed unless you end up building a huge stack because a lot of times you're going to be playing, you know, 20 big blind stacks or smaller. And there's a lot of great information out there about that. Um, is there one definitive book chase or one source you would go to, to to lead someone to to start off there? I think like some sit and go strategy actually by Moshman, Colin Moshman is mm. is pretty good uh, for, it gives you one element of understanding like ICM um, and it would prepare a person for like final tabling, which would be good. Because if you're playing like maybe just a five table local tournament, you might be able to final table once or twice a week, you know, or a couple times a month. Yeah, I agree that you're going to find yourself really familiarize yourself with the 20 big blind and lower ranges of open shoving and three bet shoving. And that's going to serve you well, no matter what bind you're playing, because eventually like you're going to get short on chips and you're going to need this skill. But small to mid buying tournaments, you make a great point about the structure being a little bit faster and you should really just sure up those ranges. I would recommend there's a lot of training videos that have, I mean, more or less solved this. You, you know, it takes tinkering to know who you're playing up against and you're going to have to get, get some intuitive feel for how to adjust ranges on the fly, but really study up on your sub 20 big blind stack size and how to, how to maneuver that. Yeah. Also, you could all, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, you could also pink journal like chase. You can carry around your, your cool nifty journal. Uh, obviously uh, okay and uh okay. first thing written down in the journal would be move up to where they respect your raises <laughs> oh gosh <laughs> uh let's get on uh, question number two from andrew since black friday killed so much of online poker would you consider playing the free apps and sites beneficial so play money what do you got drew i you know i don't have much experience with this i I don't really think so is my natural inclination because I think that there's some options in most jurisdictions where you can get on and you can play as low as two cent, five cent still. I mean, you can load up 20 to $40 online and still actually play live poker. When there's no fear of loss, I think it just gets silly and people just, you know, you have no, it, it takes out some of the element of how real poker is played. I would say that you know, if you're in a situation where because there's not a lot of options or not as many available, like even watching training videos, I think you're going to get more out of um, podcasts. I mean, not only ours, but there's a lot of great podcasts with a lot of good information. If you're looking to splash around chips, though, I mean, I can kind of understand the dilemma of you're like, man, I just want to play. Maybe let's say you're in one of those jurisdictions where online poker, there are no available options in that situation. Then, yeah, I'd say it wouldn't be the worst situation. To get yourself used to reading flop textures, stuff like that, but it's not going to be, I think, that viable of a tool. It's just my. Uh, one thing I would say is that all play money is not created equal. The like phone apps, you're going to run into a lot of just like people screwing around on their phone. Whereas if you load up like PokerStars Play Money, you might run into some more serious competition. Uh, I do think they have a place in just like learning the game. If you are the very very first step of learning the rules and how the game flows and stuff like that uh play money can be useful like i even loaded up some i was doing some stud eight play money stuff just to familiarize myself with stud eight and like just reading uh up cards and stuff like that so i think on a very basic like game flow level of learning the game and rules and getting acquainted with it has its place but uh, yeah, and one, one last uh, thing oh go, go ahead, ahead. sorry uh, go i ahead. would say that 
I would say well, I just want to interrupt you. That's all. No. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> no, I would say that the free when we say free apps and sites, I would say the one caveat is don't play against computer AI. Computer AI uh, is bad. Plague. If most of the free apps and sites nowadays have other live humans you can play against, that's much better because usually, like the video games and stuff, the, it's really not poker. And they set it up so that you're like going to get it all in a pocket deuces against any hand, and it's just going to run out, and you're going to win somehow. So it's not it's not really usable. Right. I thought you were making a like Liberatus reference there, where they played the brains versus AI. No, but no. no, yeah, you make yeah. If you have access to uh, playing the AI from uh, the MIT or whatever, whoever put that on, that might be beneficial. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's move on to question number three. What is some good poker software that can improve poker knowledge? Um, I think really this is one thing that really depends on what you're working on. So poker software, uh, for the most part, I mean, there are some exceptions, but for the most part, it's generally you putting in an input and it puts in an output. So if you don't know what to put in on the input, uh, the outputs are going to be kind of unhelpful. Um, there are a couple like, um, so for instance, when we were talking about working on your 20 big blind and below shoving ranges. Um, there are a couple of really good apps that might be good for you. I think it's called, oh, I'm spacing the name, Shove. Man, I might have to put it in the show notes, but Max Silver, I think, was who developed it. But it's essentially like a, uh, uh, almost a quiz app on how to play under 20 big blinds. And there's also another one where you can input um, your position and how many big blinds you have. And it'll give you a shove fold chart for it. So there's a couple of good apps out there like that. Yeah, I also think um, was it like Poker Stove? Some of those tools that are like ranging tools are are excellent. Uh, and there's a lot of sites, and you know, I'm sure at this point there's even YouTube videos that will go through and walk through the basis of how to use those. And I think that's really beneficial. Yeah, I'm gonna breeze through the last of this, and then we'll get to the next email. Um, okay, Andrew asked me. Uh, heard of any MGM tournaments? Yeah, I think they're running a $120 daily tournament. It's a turbo shove fest, so get those ranges down. Uh, how are the games? Games are quite good at MGM. A lot of action. Uh, Andrew also asked, do I sit in lower stakes games while waiting for high stakes? Yeah, man, definitely. Uh, not only that, but if the high stakes games aren't good, I will meander down to the 2-5 tables and uh, try to beat some people up in 2-5. I just go to make money and if there's not a good game in the big stake games, I'll come down to the kiddie pool and play with you guys. Uh, Drew, do you want to take away our second email? Sure. So you've got listen. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, you've got listed as a he who must not be named. Uh, yeah, he didn't want his name listed. So this is from Voldemort. <laughs> Perfect. Would love to hear someone talk about playing the first three positions in a full ring live one-two game. Uh, and his contention is they're tricky because you almost never get three bet, but always get called. And I would say, I think it depends, but I could see that being a problem where a lot of these players, they don't like, and they underutilize three betting. So what do we do with the first three positions and how does that affect our, our range? You know, I think that the problem is a lot of the lower stakes games, there's this mentality of, oh, I lost the pot because I didn't get people to fold, you know, and I think that's 
sometimes how lower limit players think. And I even thought, I was just like, oh man, you know, I didn't fold out this 7-4 of hearts that flopped two pair against me. Um, but I think that we need to look at that as a good thing, which is, it's not necessarily a bad thing that we're not really getting three bet and we're going multi-way. I just think that that's a, partly a function of making sure that in any game we're playing the first three positions pretty snug with our ranges. Um, you know, probably what what do you think would be a basic range for a, a newer player? Like maybe eights or nines plus in pairs, you know, ace jack suited and larger. Um, yeah, and I think probably like uh, a good Broadway unsuited is pretty pretty well. well I was range. actually going to say get away from those unsuited Broadways because if you're seeing a lot of multiway action, making top pair is going to be costly. You're not going to know what to do. You're often going to get to a river and top pair is not going to be good anymore. So uh, just fold out the unsuited Broadways. Yeah, like the king jack offsuit, king queen offsuit from early position. Um, and uh, yeah, open you know ace ten suited plus. I think. You know, sevens or eights plus is reasonable, and and just go from there. I would start from a tight, more tight um, strategy, and and kind of loosen up as you get more comfortable with the game. One thing you and I talked about in preparation is, uh, I think that there's certain game conditions you have to look at the game. You know, are where are you making your money? A lot of times in these lower limit games, uh, like one two live no limit, you're making your money from flopping a, a strong hand uh, into an inferior hand and just value towning people. You know, simply having raising with ace queen and having the flop come down queen three three and queen ten can't fold. You just bet three streets and get it in. You know, get in a chunk of chips. So yeah, playing a, a strong value range early is important. You know, I think playing a tighter range will make it simpler. Getting away from hands that that flop bad, like you know nine eight suited. If you're playing, if you ever consider playing those types of hands, the first three positions, and you're getting a lot of action and calls behind you. You know, it's always going to be a bad position because your just hands not strong enough, and you're just going to not be able to evaluate uh, the situation from first position often. So, play a tight range, and if you're really running into a spot where you're in that type of game where there's a decent amount of action, you know, Chase and I we talked a little bit. It's not bad playing exploitable, even like open limping, maybe aces, kings, ace king, you know, offsuit, and and th- going for a three bet because. If you overraise in the first three positions, and I've played one, two, no limit a decent amount, a lot of times you just fold and get the blinds. You do want some action, but if you make it seven, eight bucks, you're going to get like four or five callers. But if you just limp sometimes, you're dealing with a guy who's like raising 80% of the time. Eh, it's not bad to try to go for a limp three bet and exploit, play exploitable preflop. Yeah, I would say that you have to have a read that someone on your left is going to be opening over limping up. Uh, you know, trying to punish you, quote unquote. So don't do that without reads. I would default to uh, just standard open your strong hands, fold your weak ones. Yeah, but always be thinking and reading uh, your the game flow and, and what type of game you're in. Um, is there anything else you want to add with that, or do you want to get to Pipe's final no, I email? I think that good. I want to apologize. I told them that I would get to the email like a couple of weeks ago or a couple of podcasts ago, and I, I totally browsed over it. So I apologize for not getting to that one earlier. And so, and I, I want to personally apologize to everyone that Chase should have followed on Twitter years ago, but uh, he expects people to follow him, but he doesn't follow anyone. Speaking of people he doesn't pipes. follow, uh, Pipes, go through it, Chase. Put the boom in his shakalaka. Pipes, you put the boom in my shakalaka, buddy. I love you. Oh my so Pipes uh, had one that's going to be relevant to the topic we're discussing, and I'll just get into it. Pipes writes, he... 
uh, found motivation to play to be a struggle in February. Someone mentioned to me that maybe I should focus on putting in hours when the games are good and sitting out when they are worth worse. I built up more of a guess you could call it callous to the emotional attachment of money since playing more. So let's stop there, Drew. Uh, what are your thoughts? How how can we stay motivated? I think again, it, it really contextually depends on our situation. You know, someone like yourself, motivation is is so key because this is your income. But for a lot of us out there, that this is a secondary habit. I think that one thing that worked for me personally is when I was either going numb from a lot of losing sessions or whatever it might be playing um, cash games and I just didn't feel like I was playing my A game uh, to motivate myself a lot of times I would do something I you know like play, put myself in a tournament and that would break up some of the monotony and tournaments are interesting because they have usually a natural stop loss to them unless you're in like a crazy rebuy format online but I think that sometimes it's good to be able to provide variety for yourself. I know you were talking about how mixed games were exciting to you. And as long as we're doing it tactically and we're not just like jumping in some crazy game that we shouldn't be involved in, uh, I think that's a good way to, to do it. The other thing is, I think, you know, it's kind of, it relates to what we talked about earlier with, with Tilt, where there are times where with poker, if you've decided to make it a part-time income, something you're pursuing, or if you're a full-time player, you have to force yourself to be at the felt. I mean, there's, let's be honest, there's days that I don't want to go in and work at Commerce Casino, but I put on my suit and I force myself to go. So I think that, again, it's that having that realistic, um, I guess, assessment of yourself and saying, look, this month I've put in almost no hours. I've goofed off because I had a big, good month the month before. I need to make sure I'm playing at least 30, 30 hours a week. And maybe, maybe not at the felt. Maybe not all those 30 hours are going to be at the felt. Maybe I'm going to put 20. 20 hours a weekend, that's enough. I'm in a financial position where I can do that. But I'm going to spend 10 hours a week, you know, in study, uh, reading over my journal, going through like hand histories online, listening to some podcasts that have good content, you know, stuff like that. I agree. And I think it gets back to the kind of holistic approach that we should take to the mental game. Um, so that means like taking care of your body, getting enough sleep, um, you know, sorting out your spiritual life. Uh, Andrew even excuse me, Pipes mentioned um, even paralleling it to his, his faith in Christ and how I think that might be kind of some of the some of the rush of moving out to Vegas. Um, as we talked about earlier on our bankroll podcast, we kind of give a little backstory of Pipes' situation about how he moved out to Vegas. Um, he's kind of on an upswing and everything's kind of new and fun and exciting. And I think there's going to, you're going through some natural feelings of that kind of the honeymoon phase being over and uh and yeah dude but pipes just has such good attitude and he has a lot of passion for the game so i think you're gonna be okay pipes just keep battling through um i really love how he ended this email too and, and he writes it well he writes so like rocky rising to his feet despite mick yelling down down stay down i went to play more making it a point to keep my mind sharp and strictly on poker decisions after several hours i had run it I'd run it up to make back all I had lost plus a little extra. So that's what, what I was talking about with like playing through that mental fatigue, pushing yourself in your mental game. Um, when you can push through that and uh, make it out the other side, like you're really building that mental muscle. So you can push through those like 
bad sessions where you're not running well or you're mentally fatigued and and really just increases your mental endurance so well done pipes yeah uh, well done overall and i know that he's we'll keep uh We'll keep interacting with him and seeing where his journey takes him. We'd love to get some emails backed up again, guys So and girls. So who's ever out there, listen to us. If you want to write in, we're going to really be dedicated to having an email segment along with next couple weeks. We're probably going to continue our next couple podcasts. Pardon. Um, we're going to still continue this format of going over different aspects of the mental game. Chase, do you want to release our, our special guest we've got coming up in a couple days? Pretty excited about oh, it. Oh, yes, I do. All right, uh, man. I should have got some drum rolls for this, but we'll go into it. So we got the man Jared Tendler coming on the podcast in what's that next week? He's coming on the pod. So the author of the Mental Game of Poker and the Mental Game of Poker Two, one of the most well-respected mental game experts in the field, uh, coming on the podcast for a little interview. So I would love it if we got some pointed emails for Jared on questions that you want him to ask, topics that you want him to cover. Uh, even specific concepts from his book that you want him to really expound upon or personalize to you. Yeah, I think it's going to be awesome. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, you know, he's got a pretty amazing resume of people that he's coached. Uh, and I don't want to get into it too much, but we'll we'll talk to him a lot more. But please, please send us your emails. I know you got about four or five days. If there's specific things that you struggle with or comments, questions, if you're actually familiar with his work and you've read it, uh, the mental game, either one or two, even things are hyper-specific, we're going to go through a lot of that with him and then throw that up on our podcast. Also, we now have a Facebook page. Chase and I are working on developing that content a little bit better. It's kind of a work in progress. But you can find us on, on Facebook. A logo and website in development. So big stuff for top two poker cast. Stay tuned. Also, if you want to challenge me to some Chinese poker, feel free to drop by. Uh, <laughs> Chase has neglected his duties. We'll play cheap. Uh, but yeah, just reach out to us on any way. You know, we have a lot of different uh, social media at this point. Chase, you want to plug a couple? And uh, Yeah, you can hit us uh so we actually rebranded from top two poker podcast to top two poker cast. So uh, a couple changes, social media, Twitter, top two poker cast. Our email is also different top two poker cast at Gmail. So uh, yeah, hit, hit me on Twitch. I'm there on Sundays, twitch.tv slash chase Bianchi. You can, that person that asked about software, I got a whole software tab where I lay out all the software that I use. So uh, that'll be a good resource for you. And uh, like us on, on all of those uh, <clears throat> social medias. Follow Chase on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter. Uh, Chase will potentially, two years, three years from now, notice you on Twitter and like you back. <laughs> Love your pipes. Sorry, dude. I'm ashamed. <laughs> <laughs> you should be. Uh, all right, dude. Let's wrap it. Uh, man, you know what, though? Do you, I do you want to wrap it. us out? Do you want to wrap us out? Do you want to do our freestyle, uh, freestyle no, Chase? Dude. No? Here's, you got here's what we need. Dear Diary. All right. Diary, I don't know why people don't click the follow button. I don't know why people don't retweet me on social media. I don't know why people don't email in. Dear Diary. Oh, gosh. This is the guy that that forced me to watch all the Twilight movies with him in Vegas. Oh, man. Uh, All right. We're out. Peace. And we're done.